Let me invite you to turn towards the end of the New Testament and to the book of First Peter. First Peter chapter one, and we'll read the entire chapter. There's, of course, a great deal uh, to glean from this chapter, but we're going to read it in its entirety and then go back and just look at one theme from First Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels Long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy. For I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. 
For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Father, I pray simply now that as we open this book and as I open my mouth, that you would help me to preach the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a little boy, my grandparents lived in a tiny little town in the wide open plains of the Texas Panhandle, right in the middle of tornado country. And so, of course, like Auntie M in Kansas, they had a door outside their house that laid flat to the ground and that led into an underground storm shelter, which is an intriguing thing for a little boy to consider and to nose around in. But one day on a visit to my grandparents, we actually had to open that door and go down inside and make use of the shelter. And among the things I remember 25 or so years later from that tornado and from the inside of that shelter are the shelves lined with canned goods, lined with non-perishables. Somehow, those old dust-covered jars of food stood out to me that evening. And now, I know all the better why they were there. Because if you're going to ride out a storm, if you're going underground and closing a heavy steel door over top of you, you might want some food down there with you, right? And if a tree or a car happens to land on the door of your bunker and you end up stuck down there for two or three days, your food supply had better not be lunch meat and milk and bananas, right? You need something that will last, something that will not perish. And I want to say to you from First Peter this morning how much more true that is of our spiritual need. There are all sorts of perishable goods that are on offer in this life, things that are good while they last, things that are gifts from God even, but which are not intended to endure forever. They will not tide us over for very long when we face that final storm of death. They will not help us when we go into the ground that one final time and when the door above our heads is shut forever upon our lives in this world. In that day, we will need sustenance. We will need provisions that are imperishable and that will not fade away. And before that day, preparations need to be made, right? The imperishables didn't just show up in the bunker. They were put there. They were stored up there. They were laid ahead. We need our non-perishables laid up now so that they will be ready when we need them most. And I say all of this because this is one of the great themes that Peter the apostle is on about as he writes this first chapter to the Christians scattered in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and so on. The imperishable provisions that God has made for his people. I wonder if you noticed over and over and over and over again in this chapter how often Peter uses the words perishable and imperishable in his description of the Christian life. Just let me walk you back through and point them out. First of all, in verse 4, Peter says that those who belong to Jesus will obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. An inheritance which is imperishable. 
And then in verses 6 and 7, Peter says we rejoice in this inheritance. We rejoice in God's salvation, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith is more precious than gold, which is perishable, which I think implies that faith is imperishable. And then we see the same theme in verses 18 and 19, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Again, silver and gold are perishable things. But that's not what's redeemed you. You've been redeemed by something imperishable, the blood of Christ. And then one more time in verse 23, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So you see, Peter likes this word or these two words, and he's very interested in this theme, perishable versus imperishable. He's keen to remind his readers not only that the stuff of this life is fleeting, but also of what great provisions the Lord has made for them. He wants to remind us of the shelves and shelves of non-perishables that God has prepared so that we who belong to Jesus need not fear any deprivation when the goods of this life have at last turned sour and are of no more pleasure or avail to us. And when the door of this life is finally closed above our heads, we have provisions laid up, non-perishables. And I want us just to spend some time this morning walking back through Peter's list of non-perishables and marvel at what our God has provided for us who believe. There are four of them in this chapter, four non-perishable provisions that the Lord has made. And instead of looking back at these various verses and provisions in the order in which they appear here in 1 Peter 1, what I'd like to do is actually give attention to them in the order in which they take place chronologically in the life of of the believer. So four non-perishables, four imperishables this morning. The first item that we need to consider is imperishable blood. Imperishable blood verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Now, silver and gold are not bad things, of course. And as we said a few weeks ago, if you found yourself in earthly slavery like the Old Testament prostitute whose name was Gomer, well, then silver and gold would be precious indeed because they could buy you back out of your captivity. And, of course, silver and gold provide a good many other things that are needful in this life. Food, clothing, shelter, and so on. And so silver and gold, or for us, Jacksons and Benjamins, can indeed be a blessing, a gift from God. But Peter would have us remember these things are nevertheless perishable. They are merely earthly. We cannot take silver and gold with us when we die. And money, while it can get us out of some earthly jams cannot buy life beyond the grave. 
and as such, its value is actually quite limited. You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. And I hope we all remember this and see the great limitations, the great impermanence of money in our pockets. You were not redeemed with perishable things. But you were redeemed, Peter says to those who believe in Christ. You were redeemed, not with something temporary or perishable, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, Peter says, is precious blood. First and foremost, we said this a couple of weeks ago or several weeks ago, simply because it's the blood of Christ, right? It's the blood of God's own son, the blood of the best man who ever lived, the blood of him who loved like no one ever loved, the blood, the only blood that was not tainted with sin. That's the main point Peter is making, I think. The blood of Christ is precious because it belongs to Christ. But it's also worth noting how he compares the blood of Christ with silver and gold, which are perishable. When he says you are not redeemed with perishable things, the implication, I believe, is to say that the thing with which you were redeemed is imperishable. You are not redeemed with perishable things, but you are redeemed with something that is not perishable, something that will never fail, something that will never decay, something that will go with you beyond the grave and into eternity, the blood of Christ. The implication of verses 18 and 19 is that the blood of Christ is eternal. The question is, how so? Wasn't Jesus fully human? So wasn't his blood a physical substance just like our blood is? And therefore, wouldn't it be true, you might ask, that the blood he spilled, the blood that pooled at the foot of the cross, would have gone into the ground and become part of the soil just like if we cut our finger and spilled our blood into the ground? Perhaps that is true, and I don't, certainly don't think Peter is calling Jesus' blood imperishable in the sense that it could be scooped up from the soil at Golgotha and made into a relic that would still be affecting miracles to this day. And yet it is true that Jesus' physical blood is imperishable in the sense that Jesus did not suffer decay. In the sense that he physically rose from the dead and is still flesh and blood today and will be so throughout all eternity. Jesus rose from the grave, didn't he? In bodily form. And he ascended into heaven in bodily form. And we believe that he'll return in the same way and that he will be throughout eternity one of us, fully human, in bodily form. And so his flesh and his blood will still be with us. When all the gold in this world has been burned in the last great fire, he will be with us when all that we value in this life is gone. His blood is imperishable because he himself is imperishable, physically even. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, is he not? And his love and his person and his body and even his blood are each one imperishable. But the blood of Christ is also imperishable, not only in a physical sense, but also in the sense that this blood, both now and throughout all eternity, covers and will cover and will always continue to cover all the sins of all his believing people. Because Christ's blood was not only sprinkled on the ground at the foot of the cross outside the gates of Jerusalem, but the author of Hebrews tells us that he has also carried it into the very throne room of heaven 
where it is ever a reminder that our iniquity is taken away and our sin is forgiven. Christ's blood is imperishable in that it will never cease to be the covering, the only covering for our sins. It will never cease to be present before God's throne, satisfying his holy justice against our sins. It will never cease to be enough to cover our iniquities. If you belong to Christ, God will never require further payment of you. Because unlike perishable things like silver or gold, the blood of Christ shed for your sins, taken into the throne room of God, will never rust and never devalue and never disappear and never perish. No amount of time can dilute it. No stain of sin can show through it. God will never change his mind so as to wipe the blood away from his mercy seat. The great poet and hymn writer, William Cooper, has written beautifully, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. And that's true. And not only is that true, but even when all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more, even when the saints are all in heaven, never more to sin again, even then the blood of the Lamb will never lose its power. Even then it will be the only covering for sins of days gone by. Even then we will glory only in the blood of the Lamb. For this blood is not like silver or gold. This blood and its covering for sin will last forever. And what a relief that is. What permanent provisions God has made for us poor sinners. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood, the blood of Christ. But then there's something else imperishable that the Lord has provided for us. Not only Christ's imperishable blood, but also God's imperishable word. God's imperishable word. Christ's blood and the blessings that it has purchased for us are exceedingly precious and they will not fade away and yet they must be embraced, mustn't they, by faith. No one was ever saved by Christ's blood who did not truly believe in him. And no one ever believed, no man, woman, girl, or boy ever exercised faith in Jesus without being born again, without having new spiritual life imparted to them, implanted in them from outside of themselves by God. And how does God do that? How does he bring people to life spiritually? How does he cause us to be born again? Well, listen to verse 23. You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. Did you hear it? We're born again. We're made alive to God by the means of the seed of God's word. The word of God implanted in us by the preaching of that word finds its crevice in the soil of our hearts and sinks in and begins to produce new fruit-bearing plants. New life from which will grow the fruit of the Spirit. It is the Word of God which causes us to be born again to new life in Jesus. And then did you notice what Peter says about the Word of God? It is like seed, yes, but not like the perishable seed that we sow in our gardens, perishable seed which produces a perishable crop. The Word of God, verse 23, is imperishable seed. 
It is living and enduring, he says. Or quoting Isaiah in verses 24 and 25, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This book is not a dead book. It's a living book. He says, and isn't it good to know that not only is it living now, but it will go on living. It is the living and enduring word of God. This book will never cease to be relevant. In spite of the fact that many people, some even under the guise of Christianity, would tell us that much of the Bible is outmoded and really unfit for modern man's needs and understanding. Peter says no. This good seed is the very word of God, and as such, it is imperishable. It is enduring. It lasts forever. This book will never cease to have power to bring people from darkness to light, to cause them to be born again, to bring them to faith in Jesus. The teaching of this book will never be outdated. Its message will never grow stale. Its power will never diminish. This book does not need our help, and certainly not our attempts to spruce it up, for modern man. The word of God is imperishable, enduring, timeless. The same word that brought Augustine to faith in 4th century Milan. The same word that rescued Martin Luther in 16th century German. The same word that Adoniram Judson translated for the Burmese in the 19th century is the very same word that brought you and I to Jesus, isn't it? And if the Lord should tarry, this good word will still be bringing people to the feet of Jesus. This good seed will still be producing a harvest ten centuries from now. The grass withers and the flower falls off. Generations come and generations go. Philosophical assumptions change. Nations, kingdoms, and whole civilizations rise and fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord just keeps bringing people to life in every era. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. And not only is the word itself imperishable, not only is the seed itself imperishable, but so also is the spiritual fruit that it produces. And that brings us to our next two points. Christ's believing people have been redeemed with imperishable blood shed for us 2,000 years ago. And then, in the days of our own pilgrimage, God has brought us the message of that blood and the message of the one who shed it by means of his imperishable word. And when that imperishable word takes root in our hearts, when it causes us to be born again, it sprouts up with the first fruit of imperishable faith. Imperishable faith. It is by faith that we lay hold of the blessings procured for us by Christ's death. It is through faith that you come into the forgiveness of sins purchased by Christ's imperishable blood. And Peter, in verse 7, seems to indicate that this faith, too, is imperishable. Your faith, he says, is more precious than gold, which is perishable. And by contrasting faith with gold and noting how gold is perishable, it seems to me that Peter is implying that your faith, unlike gold, is imperishable. Your faith is more precious than gold, which is perishable. Precious as gold is, as we've already said, gold perishes. It will not last forever. 
It will get spent. It will get lost. It will get stolen. Someday it will all be burned with fire. But our faith is not like that. Faith cannot be taken away from you, can it? Faith, real faith, saving faith, cannot be lost. Faith will never run out. It cannot even be destroyed, verse 7, by the fire of difficulties and trials. In fact, faith like gold is actually purified by fire. Faith, having grown up from the imperishable seed of God's word, is itself imperishable. So much so that it is one of those things, if you possess it now, you will also surely carry it with you to the grave and beyond. There are not many things that you can carry beyond your grave, but your faith is one that you will. You will not have your gold in heaven, but you will have your faith. If you trust in Jesus today, then you will still trust in Jesus when you come to die, and even after you die, and forevermore. So let me just stop and ask you, do you trust in Jesus today? Is he your hope of salvation today? Is he your only comfort today? Is he your savior today? And if not, would you make him such? Would you entrust yourself to him today? You cannot be saved apart from faith in him. His imperishable blood, wonderful as it is, is not applied to your sin apart from faith in the one who shed it. So believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you've never exercised faith in him before, believe in the Lord Jesus today. And if you do, if he is your hope and comfort and salvation today, then he will still be your hope and comfort and salvation in the day of trial, in the day of death, and even when you are made perfect in the days of eternity. Your faith is more precious than gold, which is perishable. Your faith will last forever. And not because it's your faith and you have such a strong willpower. Your faith will last forever because your faith has been given you as the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 To you it has been granted to believe in him. Philippians 1.29 And so you did not believe, and I did not believe, and we do not continue to believe on our own strength. Faith is the gift of God, and he will not allow such a gift to fall by the wayside, will he? No, he who granted you faith will surely keep you in the faith. He is the one, Jude 24, who is able to keep you from stumbling, and he will. He will keep your soul, Psalm 21, and you will not finally lose your faith or your salvation. Now that is news that's both wonderful and sobering. Wonderful because if I believe in Jesus, I'm secure. My faith is not like gold. It will never run out. It will never corrode. It will never be lost. And therefore, I will never be lost. But the imperishable nature of faith is also sobering news if I find that my faith is corroding. If I find that my faith, or what I think is my faith, is actually being lost. Because true faith, saving faith, faith in Jesus does not corrode. Faith in Jesus is not perishable. And so if my faith seems to be doing those things, if my faith has faded, if my faith has corroded, If I have drifted away from the Lord, the sobering fact is that I may not have real faith. My faith may not be in Christ. And that should be a warning to some of us today. Genuine faith is imperishable. Is your faith imperishable? Is your faith genuine? If not, rather than trying to patch up a counterfeit faith this morning, 
why not just start afresh? Why not just admit that you need to believe on Christ, really believe on Christ for the first time, and why not by the power of the Holy Spirit do that today? Oh, if you would only believe in Jesus, if you only place your faith in him, then all would be well with your soul. Your faith may not yet be very large, but it would be lasting. Your faith may not yet be deep, but it would be durable. Your faith may not be seasoned, but it would be sure. If you would but believe on Jesus, you would possess something more precious than gold, which is perishable. And then let me say this in the last place. This imperishable blood, which has been brought to bear on our lives by the imperishable word and produced in us an imperishable faith, will finally bring us to an imperishable inheritance. An imperishable inheritance. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What a blessing to know that this world is not all there is. Because even the best that this world has to offer is so incredibly transitory and changeable and fallible and perishable. It slips through our fingers, doesn't it? Time slips through our fingers. Health slips through our fingers. Our gadgets eventually die. Our houses begin to sag. Our cars break down. Wealth has wings, Proverbs says. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. And certainly the same can be said of our health. Anyone over 30 will understand that by experience. We're not what we used to be, are we? In this world, moth and rust destroy. In this world, thieves break in and steal. In this world, if we live long enough, we will find ourselves sitting beside far too many hospital beds and standing over far too many caskets. Because even our own bodies, like silver and gold, are perishable in this world. And so well might we say with the preacher, all is vanity. Except that Peter tells us that if we are in Christ, if we belong to Jesus, God is preparing for us an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Not on this earth, but reserved in heaven, verse 4. And let me say to you that the imperishable blessings of heaven will be multiplied exponentially in the new heavens and the new earth. Won't it be something? The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and somehow, miraculously, God was with them so that their clothing did not wear out nor did their foot swell for four decades. But imagine a whole world like that forever. A world in which there is no more decay. No more deterioration in your joints. No more wrinkles around your eyes. No more rust on your muffler. No more holes in your shoes. No more leaks in your ceiling. No more stillborn babies. No more dementia or Alzheimer's. No more hospitals. No more coffins. No more funerals. No more tornadoes. 
and no need ever again to store away your canned goods. For on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. All these things will be ours if we belong to Christ by faith. And best of all, in eternity, in heaven and in the new earth, not only will the corrosion be gone, but so will the acid of sin which has created all this decay. We who belong to Christ, verse 4, are heading for an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled. We're not there yet, I know. We're still living with the perishable and we're still living in the defilement of our own sin. We all stumble in many ways. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're spiritually exercised at all, if we're self-aware at all, we'll admit that we're often actually ashamed of ourselves. Ashamed of the things that go through our mind. Ashamed of the kinds of things that come out of our mouths. Ashamed at what our hands have done. Ashamed at where our feet have carried us. And rightly so. But let us never forget, first of all, the precious and imperishable blood which covers all our sins. And let us never forget the undefiled inheritance to which we are going. There won't be any defilement of sin there, not even the sin which so easily entangles you today. God will free you of it fully and finally in that day. When he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. When he appears, we will no longer be defiled and neither will our inheritance. This world, with all its sins, and under all this curse, is not all there is. And therefore, we mustn't despair if we belong to Jesus. We mustn't lose heart. We mustn't think that our toil is in vain. And we mustn't, at the other end of the spectrum, store up for ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, and where a tornado can take from us everything we own in a moment. No, Christ has gone to prepare a place for us, an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, and we must store up treasures there if we're wise. But most of all, as I say, we mustn't lose heart when we see and feel and suffer this world's decay. Jesus is coming. He will make all things new, including our own bodies and our own souls, and that is reason to press on and to hope and to rejoice. Someday, yes, we will all descend into the cellar of death and the door will close behind us, never more to reopen in this world. But for those of us who belong to Jesus, that is not the end, is it? Because our God has made lavish, imperishable provisions for us, hasn't he? Provisions that will still be there for us when everything else is gone. He has given to us the precious and imperishable blood of Christ to cover all our sins. He has given to us the imperishable seed of his word to make us spiritually alive to Christ and to produce in us an imperishable faith in Christ. And by all these means, he has ordained that we obtain an imperishable inheritance with Christ in heaven and someday in the new heavens and the new earth. And someday the door will open above our heads again. And we will step back out into the sunlight, no longer to observe the chaos left behind by the tornado of sin, but to enjoy a whole new and perfect world. 
And so says Peter, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice.